We are so thankful you decided to take time out of your day to listen to this sermon. Central to all of our services is gospel-centered teaching led by our senior pastor, Dr. Jeff Warren. Together, we are a church that seeks to follow Jesus every day, and we hope you are drawn closer to Christ as a result of this message. You can go ahead and grab your Bible. In fact, you can turn to uh, Genesis 1 is where we're going to find ourselves. We've been in this series of messages. I noted, uh, what is the Bible in this year of the Bible? Um, you know, when, when our kids were little, maybe if you have children or maybe you have kids at home even now, we, we had uh, lots of bedtime story books that we read to them. We read to them just about every night. As they got older, we had, uh, or even in preschool, I suppose, we had a little Bible you know, the children's book with pictures. And, 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 and I, I think looking back on that, you have bedtime stories, you have the Bible. You, it's kind of like Jesus and Santa. It's like G, Easter Bunny and Jesus. And, and so there must be some confusion there. And sometimes we're looking at stories and you read the Bible in a way that it's just one story after another. Some of it seems so fantastical and so amazing. And we wonder what's true and what's not true. It can be confusing. The Bible's an intimidating book. In fact, you start to read the stories, and, and I wonder if you're like me, sometimes you read the Bible, and it seems just like a collection of a lot of different stories, and you wonder, what's the point? What, what is really happening here? Are the stories all unrelated? Is it something we've kind of coalesced and, and consolidated together over time? We talked a little bit about that last week, but today I want to address the question, what is the point of the Bible? A little bit different message today, a lot more teaching, if you will, than preaching. I want to help you every time you open the Bible to understand how you can read the Bible every single time you open it. So the text for the message today, hang on, is the entire Bible. We're going to be here till Wednesday. We're having Ash Wednesday service in the Great Hall. Uh, it takes 70 hours and 40 minutes to read the Bible straight through, just conversationally. It's going to be the greatest sermon you've ever heard. And your friends and co-workers will wonder where you are in the morning, but let's, let's, let's press on. We're actually not going to do that, but we are going to look at the story of the Bible. We explored last week, we kind of landed on this uh, this premise, we talked about, can we trust the Bible? The Bible was written over 1,600 years. The Bible was written in 40 different languages, on three different continents, um, or 40 different authors, three languages, people from all walks of life, the rich, the poor, different places in life, different occupations, different emotional states, all of this, and yet all of it tells one single story. Only God can do that. Over 1,600 years, and yet a single story pointing to a single person. And if you miss the big story, the Bible does seem like a lot of different stories that are hard to connect. And those of you who are reading through the Bible, you've got a better sense of this. With all the help that we're getting as we walk through the Scriptures together, one of the best ways to understand the Bible, and every time you open it, is to remember this. If you take notes on sermons, I want to look at the Bible as a four-act play. All right? Let's look at the four acts of the Bible. First, we have creation. You have rebellion. You have redemption. And then you have restoration. 
This is going to help you every time you open your Bible. Lots of themes throughout the Bible, but these four acts will help frame and focus your understanding of the Bible. So redemptive history is being played out through all of the Bible, and it continues on today. The German theologians had a name for it. The name was, the word is Heilgeschichte, okay? Sounds like Gesundheit, I, I guess. Heilgeschichte, Heil is the word salvation, Geschichte is history. It's salvation history, it's a word, a single word that means all of God's redemptive work that he has been doing throughout all of history. We need an English word like that. I'm bringing Heilgeschichte back, okay? This is the story of the Bible. So when you open your Bible, it helps you know that he is about something, and it's a big story. And as we walk through the different acts of, uh, of, of the Bible, we're going to pause for a moment. You're going to see this because every phase of the story uh, mirrors our own lives. What if all the great stories that you've ever heard before that have brought great joy to your life, the favorite books you've read, the favorite movies you have seen, the great stories that bring you to joy and to tears, what if all of them are actually telling you something about the true story, the big story? Why is it that all of our stories in life seem to run the same course? It's because we are a part of the big story, the true story. And so here it is, act one, God creates. In Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is another way of saying once upon a time, right? It draws you, it's an invitation. It draws you in a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away is how Star Wars start. The prequel begins and act one starts. Come, let me tell you a story. So we get into, into the story, but here's the thing. This is our story. We read it and we know that it's true. Then God said in verse 26 of chapter 1, let us make man in our image. We looked at Genesis in January. After our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock, over, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We all know this. Perhaps you know this story well if you've read the Bible. But it's worth going back to. This is act one. This is critical. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Don't miss this. Subdue it. Have dominion over it. You're going to reign over the earth uh, you're going you're gonna to be co-heirs with me, co-creators, and you're going to be co-rulers over the earth, over the fish of the sea, birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And it goes on in verse 29. I'm going to give you everything you need to join me. This creation narrative must constantly be in front of us. If you read this and say, well, I've heard that so many times, this is critical to the story. And we've got to keep coming back to it because here we see a perfect kingdom in the Garden of Eden. It's as if the story starts. There once was a great king and he had perfect children in a perfect kingdom. And we must keep this in the forefront of our understanding because this is where all of history is heading. Notice that we are co-creators, co-rulers with him. We're given everything we need to accomplish the task that he's given us to create. 
and to join Him. But He gives us restrictions. We are to do all of this on God's behalf. We're stewards in this world. Everything that He's given to us is done unto Him. And it says that it was very good. Everything was very good. Creation is perfect. This is Act 1 of the story. It's similar to all the Act 1 stories, or portions of stories that we know. Act 1 is where we learn who the characters are. We see God, and there's people, and there's, there's, a, there's a garden, and there's creation. It's like Gone with the Wind. At the beginning, we're introduced to Scarlet, and we understand there's this Ashley out there. There's a war that's looming. It's the Wizard of Oz. We meet Dorothy and Auntie M. We see members of the family that are going to actually end up in this story, this ragtag band of travelers. It's the Lord of the Rings. We, we meet the different characters, the Chronicles of Narnia, the Star Wars. This is classic Act One stuff. We realize in this story that we are a part of this story. Genesis 1 and 2 is our story. We meet the one character, the one who's in charge, the center of the entire story, but everything's perfect. This is why it seems a bit fantastical. Sure enough, we look at it and no wonder, I, I understand if some of us are skeptical because we say, well, this says that this is earth and yet it's not like we know it. And yet the Bible presents it as absolutely true. This is our planet, and this is our story, and this is true in our lives as well. When you think about the Act One themes running through your life, story, your story begins when you're born, and yet you're born into a story that's already going on. It's the big epic story. It's the Heil Geschichte, the, the story of God's redemptive work in the world. It's like starting a new job. It's perfect. It's going to be the best job. It fits you perfectly. You have high expectations. This is going to be the greatest job I've ever had. It's, it's like the young man I talked to this week started dating this gal, and he said, she, she's just amazing. She is the one. She may be the one. He has high hopes. And he's thinking, this could very well be the one. I did a wedding. Did, I've done a couple of weddings recently, and at the wet, all is right. Everything's happy. Everybody's rejoicing. It's the first child, perfect, can do no wrong. Look at that little baby cooing. Such a genius, perfect little baby. It's even retirement, though it seems like an end is a beginning of sorts. And we enter into this new life and it kind of resonates and, and this, all these stories resonate with us and the story of the Bible resonates because it's our story. We find ourselves in new beginnings. We, we're a part of this great macro story, the meta-narrative of what God is doing. It's why our little stories, our little beginnings resonate so much with all that we see. When you open the Bible, you say, this is true. This is my life. And God is at work. Maybe you're at a point of beginning in your own life. God is doing something new. You're starting a new place. Some of you just moved to Dallas. Maybe it's your first time here. You have great hopes. You think, wow, what a church. This is amazing. And maybe God is calling you to join us, even today. Just dive right in. But you know, we've lived long enough to know that idyllic doesn't last for long. We all know what it is to 
enter into failure and regret, remorse, because ultimately there's an act two. Creation rebels. Act two opens with a new character at the forefront. There's a villain that shows up because there's always a villain in the story. And here we see the villain show up, whether it's the big bad wolf or the wicked witch or Longshanks or the dark Lord Sauron in the Lord of the Rings, the white witch in the Chronicles of Narnia, Darth Vader shows up in Star Wars. But the challenge with our story is this. Most of us don't live like we know there is a villain. We live as if there is no villain in our day. We're smarter than that. We're wiser than that. We're more powerful than that. And even today, part of our worship, the flow of our worship is to remind us, no, we're not. We need God. We're desperate for him. Remembering Eden, remembering paradise, you see, is critical. These, this is why these themes are so important. We're already into two acts, and we're not even out of Genesis 3. You think, that's a small portion of Scripture. No, no, no. It's critical to understand. We look back and we remember the fall. We remember that we too have given, been given over to sin. But it's interesting, as we remember the fall, it is important to go back to Act 1 as well and remember original, not just original sin, but original glory. You could argue that's more core to our nature, certainly prior to the fall. And that again is where everything is heading. God's plan will not be thwarted. But look at what happens. Creation rebels in Genesis 3, 6. You know it well. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her and ate it. A friend of mine sent me a text this week and said, you know, uh, th this is why women struggle to figure out where they want to eat and what they want to eat because they've been struggling with what to eat from the time. And I said, no, I don't know about that. I wouldn't go there. Um, I said, in fact, maybe the first sin was male passivity. Where's Adam in all of this? Right? They both sinned. They, but, but here's the thing. They, they sinned. No, no, we have sinned. We know this is our story. Then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Satan deceives us with a lie. We see this. We read the story. We know it's true because it's our story. We said this resonates with us. See, to eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was to decide for ourselves. We will decide what's right and wrong. We will determine what is right. We don't need God to do that. This is where everything starts to go wrong. We continue to do this. You see, we read the fall, the narrative in Genesis 3, and we say, this is why the world is the way it is. This is our story. And every one of us, with our hearts open, can resonate with what's happening in our own personal lives. And so it says they heard the sound of the Lord, God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of, of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Then the Lord goes on, Who told you? As if to say, Who's been speaking to you? I've told you. Who have you been listening to? We read these stories and we say, This is my story. I'm listening to a million voices all the time. And God's saying, come back to me. Come back to me. We do the same. You see how 
our little stories resonate with the big story. And in short time, all of creation is devastated and infected by rebellion, death, shame, and brokenness, hiding from God, blaming each other. You and I do the same. See, Act 2 tells us why we're struggling today. It tells you why you have so many disappointments. I've talked to no less than three of our members just today in our prayer time earlier and walking around our campus today who have said to me three times, please pray for me. Here's what's going on in my life. I have one struggling in my family. I'm wrestling with this in my life. We know that we live in a broken world and the Bible tells us why things are the way they are. You see, we see this, but immediately after Genesis 3, there's, there's a murder, Genesis 4. We, we, we see Cain and Abel, there's progression of perpetual violence, sin goes viral. This is why the world is the way it is. You see, friends, when we open the Bible, we realize this is, this is it. This, this, is, this helps me see everything that's going on in my life today. If you understand, there's creation, there's rebellion, and act two is the hardest act to watch. It's like watching act two in a movie. You don't go there. Don't open that. Don't go in there. The music's playing, and you're yelling at the screen. You don't want them to go in there. It gets worse, and it gets worse and worse. The moment God says, don't eat from this one tree, we all know that's where they're going. They're going to do it because we know our own hearts. In Gone with the Wind, Scarlet makes one bad decision after another. She's a mess, by the way. She doesn't get Ashley. She's pulled away from Tara, tossed to, to war-torn Atlanta, loses her daughter Bonnie in Wizard of Oz. Dorothy's tripped down yellow, the yellow brick road. Instead of the wizard just fixing everything, she runs into the Wicked Witch of the West in Narnia, Edmund. Is taken, he's tempted by the white witch's dessert. Interesting. C.S. Lewis is a bit more explicit. It's something he's going to eat that can take him down in Star Wars. The Empire strikes back, the rebels lose. Luke loses a hand and finds out that Darth Vader is his father. Every act two leads to more and more trouble, but these stories mirror real life. Sin and brokenness and disappointment is what we're up against today. You know, we, we grow up and we start to realize as children that adults, even adults, aren't perfect. The two couples that I've met with recently, wrestling with expectations. You see, we have a thing in, in the prepare inventory when couples are getting married in our newlywed uh, program, our nearlywed program, they, they, they have this prepare inventory. And in it, it has what's called idealistic distortion. And a facilitator to point out, hey, you're, you're, you're expecting way too much from that person. Let, let, let's try to be realistic here. The perfect wedding turns into a challenging marriage. The perfect baby grows up and rebels. And that perfect job, you realize that all of your coworkers have issues and your boss is a tyrant. The hours are too long and it's too hard. Even retirement, what you thought was going to be a long vacation, now starts to feel like emptiness and lostness. And apart from your job, you don't know who you are anymore. 
Act two is a hard place to be. But we all resonate, it again, resonate with it. And again, we find that the Bible is our story. It's real life. The Bible reminds us of what's really going on. But we also have to know in Act 2, sometimes it's our fault. We see Adam and Eve and we resonate with that. Broken relationships, sin and shame. We're not the hero. And we need rescue. Maybe you're in a season of Act 2 rebellion right now. We had a moment of confession earlier. God is calling you back to Himself to confess your sin and to repent and turn to Him. Because in the midst of Act 2, we do hope that there's this, there's this glimmer, this glimmer of hope. A light breaks through. And the Bible wastes no time moving on to Act 3. You can even feel it in your heart right now. Come on, Pastor, get on. Let's get to that Act 3. Let's get there. Let's go. Act 3, God redeems. God redeems. He doesn't leave us or the world to burn. He, he comes with a plan of redemption. And as early as Genesis 3.17, He speaks of one who will be born of the woman, who will break the curse. And in Genesis 12, we see a massive leap forward as Abraham shows up. We keep looking for the man. We wonder, is it going to be Adam, Cain, or Seth? It's Noah. It's not Noah. It's Abraham. It's Moses. It's David. We keep looking for the man. We don't know who he is. But there's a twist in the story. The one writing the story actually writes himself in to the story. John's gospel starts like Genesis. John chapter 1, in the beginning. Once upon a time, the Word, there was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is something we missed earlier. We knew that it said, let us make man in our image, but what is this us? Is God one or is He three? What is happening here? And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we've seen His glory, John says. Glory as the one and only, the only Son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus comes, he's born as a baby, but the coming of Jesus of Nazareth is a lot more like the opening scene in Saving Private Ryan than it is uh, Simba in The Lion King. What we see here is a dangerous mission, a great invasion, a daring raid into enemy territory to save the world, even if it's one man like Private Ryan. Jesus says in Matthew 18, 12, He's like the shepherd who will leave the 100 sheep to go after the one. Friend, listen, He's coming after you today. This is the true story of your life. Jesus has come to redeem you, the one lost lamb, back to Himself. Jesus lives the perfect life. He's the Passover lamb. He comes to us, and God's redemptive story keeps playing out. Paul tells us what's happening. He brings commentary to it all. This genius of the Old Testament now says in Romans 4, look at this, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. This covenant agreement made with Abraham in Genesis 12, God forms a people of Israel, he rescues them out of the Exodus. He then gives them the law. And, and we see that there's another twist. It's not by the law. 
It's by faith, and it's been by faith all along. He goes on. Look at Romans 4, verse 20 through 25. You can see it there. No unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave God the glory, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteous. We saw that earlier, but we couldn't fully understand it. But the words, look at this. It was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him. Now Christ becomes the object of our faith, who raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification Abraham trusted God would do what he promised he would do. And he's reckoned as righteous, not by his works, but by his faith in the one who would ultimately redeem all of us who would trust him. There's an act three twist. There's always a twist. The problem is the villain shows up again in ways unforeseen. God promises to raise up a people and they turn from him. We see cycles of disobedience, half-hearted worship. But all of it points to Christ. All the stories, friends, listen. Every story in the Bible. Watch for Jesus. Know these four themes as you read the Scriptures and find out where are we in the story. And consider your own life as a mirror, or God's Word as a mirror into your life. Because here we see that every story in the Bible that we're familiar with, Adam and Eve, Daniel and Lion's Den, David and Goliath, all of these stories, even the weird ones like Balaam's donkey and Ezekiel's crazy visions, all of the book of Zechariah, all of it points to Jesus. Every bit of it points to Christ, our Savior. This is what Paul was saying. The entire story points to him. This is classic act three stuff right here. Everything seems hopeless. There's no way the hero's going to win. Aslan dies. The great Oz is discovered as a hoax. And in Gone with the Wind, well, Scarlet just, she just stays a mess. And there's no redemptive qualities there at all. Even Rhett gives up. And he doesn't really give a darn anymore in the end. And she just hopes for a brighter tomorrow. That is one story that really doesn't have a great ending. But in our story, something else happens. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead. You see, listen, your your story has an end. It, It ends with death if it's about you. If it's about Christ and his hope in us and his life in us, then there is hope. Hope for a real life. It's why Paul says in Romans chapter 3, but now the righteousness of God has been made manifest apart from the law. Praise be to God. Although the law and prophets bear witness to it, pointed us to him, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. There's no distinction. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're justified by his grace as a gift, the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward. Look at this. He wrote him into the story as a propitiation a wrath satisfier, a substitute by his blood to be received by faith. By faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, all that time he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, even now, 
so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. Praise be to God. The long-awaited man has come, and it is Christ himself. So maybe you're in an Act 3 moment right now in your life. Maybe you've been confused. Maybe even in your own salvation. You thought, well, if I could just be good enough, basing your worth and your value on your performance, you've not embraced salvation by faith in Christ, not your works, but what he has done for you. You see, he's calling you into this story even now. You're not the Messiah. You're not the hero of your story. You need rescue, and the hero has come to rescue you from your sin. But there's yet another twist in the story. Here's our problem. Rescuing the human heart is the hardest, hardest mission of all because some of us don't want to be rescued. That broken job that you are so disillusioned about, you're waiting for someone to come and change the culture. And God's calling you to be the one. That broken marriage, you're waiting for someone to step up and sacrifice and love, put their needs second. You're waiting on someone to apologize. God's calling you to apologize. That broken relationship in your family, you just can't put up with that person anymore. And, and you, you, you now have been estranged and you're just hoping someday or maybe you've just said enough of that. That story's over. We're back in act two. There's no hope. And God's calling you to be the one to take the step forward. See, act three gives us hope. But sometimes we must realize we're the ones that he's calling to redeem that, that situation, redeem that relationship. But there's one more act in this great drama as we close. And this is one some of us miss. I want to bring encouragement to you, the ones I love today. I want you to be reminded there's a fourth act. God restores. God restores. We have creation. We have the fall. We have redemption. We have restoration. God restores. He calls us into this story. This is why we love others into the kingdom. This is why we go on mission trips across our city, across the street, across the room. It's why we go to places like South Texas or Guatemala, Cambodia or Nepal. It's why we want the scriptures in the heart language of every person on the planet for us to do our part because God's calling us all, every nation, every person into relationship with him. He's called us to be a blessing, to fulfill the Abrahamic promise. Because ultimately, there's going to be one people, God's people, from every tribe and every nation. So that in Revelation 7, John says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, they said the same, made righteous before Him with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. This is classic Act 4 stuff. All is made right. The hero has won and everyone is celebrating. Dorothy and her friends skipping back along the way. She finds herself back in Kansas, and there's no place like home. This is our story. It's the lion, the witch, and the wardrobe. 
Aslan comes to life. The children find their way back home. Lucy and Edmund and the kids are all back together rejoicing. In the Lord of the Rings, the dwarves, the elves, the hobbits, and the humans are all celebrating the fall of Sauron at the wedding of Aragon. In the return of the Jedi, all the aliens are joined together celebrating. We celebrate along with them because this is our story. This is where it's all heading. Every story that moves us mirrors the story we find ourselves in. Genesis 7, 9 through 12. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen. Blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might, all things be to God forever and ever. Amen. Jesus will return to make all things right. He'll bring justice finally and He'll restore us back to Eden, but even better. We'll be given resurrected bodies. We're not floating off with disembodied spirits. We're given resurrected bodies and he's making all things new. And friends, listen to this today. This is where all of history is heading. This is true. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there's no more sea, no separation at all. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Not us being beamed up, but heaven coming to earth. The New Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He's now dwelling with us again, just as he did in the garden. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain. For the former things have passed away, and he who is seated on the throne, said, Behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down. Friends, listen. For these words are trustworthy, and they are true. This is where all of history is heading. Creation, the fall, we see our rebellion, redemption, and restoration. Christ is calling you. He's calling you to hope in Him today. There is an act to coming where the long-awaited hero will save us from all things, wipe away every tear from our eyes. He gives us the Holy Spirit to overcome sin that so entangles us. He calls us into this epic story. This is life. And this is what he's calling you into today. Friends, this is the point of the Bible. The point of the Bible is that it points us to Jesus. And that's what the Bible is all about. And he's calling you into this great story. I want us to pray together as we close our time. And I want to use this time as a time for you to think about this great story. Where do you find yourself? Maybe today you are excited about new beginnings in your life. The Lord constantly is bringing something new along the way. Celebrate that. Praise Him for it. 
Maybe you find yourself today in an act to rebellion. We all are there in varying degrees, but what is it that He wants you to bring to Him? Maybe you're in need of redemption today. You need to be the one to bring redemption to that place, that, that difficult relationship. What is He calling you to do? Maybe you need to receive His grace today. You've never by faith accepted His great gift of salvation. Today's your day. Maybe you need to be reminded in these difficult days. He will restore all things. And He's called us to be agents of restoration in our relationships. To be light and salt in the world. What will you do? Lord, we give you our lives. We praise you for Jesus. We thank you for your word today that points us to him. We're so grateful that we can be strong as we go into this week. We can be filled with your spirit and we can live for you in every way and worship you with our lives. Thank you for the clarity of your word and how it helps us make sense of this fallen world we find ourselves in. Thank you for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon. Come and join us as we seek to follow Jesus every day. We meet every Sunday at 9.15 a.m. for our small group Bible studies called Connect Groups and 10.45 a.m. for worship. We hope to see you soon at Park City's Baptist Church.